But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Father Tim gave a great intro into our summer series with the Psalms last week. Yay. Quick recap, 150 Psalms, right in the middle of the Bible. Half of them were written by David. Taken together, the Psalms cover the full range of human emotions and conditions and hopes. We turn to them when we're mad or glad or sad. We turn to them if we feel like rejoicing, praising, complaining, or beseeching. We turn to them when we need comforting, when we need a deep moment of peace. When I pick up the Bible and turn to the Psalms, it's most often because I need comfort and a deep moment of utter peace. Psalm 131, a short, simple psalm appearing in the 15 Psalms of Ascent gives me that peace. The 15 Psalms of Ascent were sung by the Jews while they were making their annual pilgrimage up to Jerusalem. They'd trek along singing praises, complaints, and thanksgivings for God's faithfulness and deliverance. They'd sing of the power of their God and the joy they'd feel because of that power. And sometimes they wanted strength and peace that these psalms could confer. When the pilgrims would sing Psalm 131, our psalm for today, written by David, they might have been yearning for rest from the uncertainty of their lives or from the dangers of traveling or sheer fatigue. Something in them, and frankly in all of us, yearns for a song of quietude and stillness from time to time. David's first psalm is famous for the idea of gathering strength through remembering the peace of God, Psalm 23. It strikes a chord we can all relate to. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. Ah, I can just feel the peace as I say those words. Psalm 131, our psalm for today, gives us that relief in a different way. As part of the Psalms of Ascent, unlike Psalm 23, which wasn't part of the Psalms of Ascent, its singers are focused on the worthiness of their goal, the temple and the God of the temple, the God of their hope. Let's hear the psalm again. And picture the two decisions that David knew he had to make, and he listed them in the psalm right up front. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. 
O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth. God is the grown-up in the room, if you will. He's in charge. And David, understanding his position, is able to intentionally calm and quiet his soul. He is exercising intentional trust that God will not forsake him and that he can indeed be at peace. David knew it was okay to quiet and calm his soul since he knew God was like a good mother and would provide for him and keep him safe. It was a trust move. Psalm 131 is written in the simplest of language. It renounces the need to macromanage thing and encourages quieting the soul because God's got this. Given David's personal history, this psalm makes a lot of sense. Early on when Saul first knew the young man David, Saul recruited David to calm him through music and David would sing songs to soothe him. But before David came to the throne, Saul became jealous of David and hunted him down, tried to kill him several times. He thought David was trying to steal the throne from him. Saul was so jealous of all the victories that God had chosen to accomplish through David. The seeds of 131 maybe were written from that period, or maybe he wrote it earlier when he was trying to soothe the king. Whenever he wrote it, I imagine that David, as musician, advisor, warrior, and king, knew he needed to sing this song to himself from time to time to soothe himself. So all this is well and good for David. What does it have to do with me? We're not in big wars, but we read of wars. We're not in precarious situations, but we read of others who are in precarious situations and are so acutely grieved. We too have various roles in life in which we discover a yearning to just rest, time out, rest in the arms of God. After all, as 17th century mathematician Blaise Pascal wrote in his defense of the Christian religion, We all have a God-shaped hole within us. Even if we have our act totally together and are so efficient, the hole is there and yearns for God. In fact, God actually designed humans on purpose to need connection with God. He made us vulnerable on purpose so that we could practice connecting with each other in preparation for connecting with him. He actually made our survival dependent on connection. In infancy, we need to connect with our mothers and fathers. As we grow older, we need to connect with friends and communities. Eventually, all this practice helps us open up to connecting with God. Scientists know that we need air, water, shelter, clothing, food against extreme heat and, uh, to survive. 
But just as important, scientists also have discovered we need to be held, to be loved, to belong by connecting to the people around us. Our training begins when we are babies. Have you ever heard of cuddle groups? Cuddle groups have sprung up at hospitals everywhere. At the UMass Chan School of Medicine, quote, cuddle groups were created due to the growing research suggesting that cuddling has a calming effect on infants who are born prematurely or with medical conditions. Babies who are cuddled have been shown to sleep better, manage stress better, and control their autonomic function better. Let's think about the weaned child in the psalm then for a moment. The child in infancy was trained to receive its sustenance from its mother's breast. Now, two years later, roughly, the child has been lovingly but firmly moved along to receiving food from the mother's hand. And the child begins to understand a couple of things. Life is orderly. There is progression, the concept of progression. It's the first sending out a little bit from the intimacy to the sending out to the hand. And the child in its own little way has had to come to understand the trustworthiness of the mother upon whom the child is still very much dependent. The child has had to learn to calm and quiet itself and not cry out in fear or frenzy and distress about where the food will come from. The weaned child knows this. I got to tell you, this whole image metaphor has personally been a non-starter for me. Since I personally didn't have a mother who cuddled and held and nurtured me, as mothers through the millennia have, long story, totally sad, won't go into it here, the closest approximation I could come up with for me in thinking about the weaned child image, this is going to sound strange, I realize, but it's what works, (laughs) is the relief I always felt when I was little and swimming in the deep end of a pool, when I managed to paddle back and finally, with pride and relief, grab hold of the edge. The edge of the pool was the functional equivalent of a loving mother giving me safety and strength. I always somehow knew that my edge of the pool mother was a poor substitute for what more fortunate children knew. They could remember the real deal, the secure and loving haven of being with their mothers. And later in life, their souls could remember finding security and intimacy, nurture and warmth and love. The concrete, cold edge of the pool gave me security, but intimacy and love not so much. So through the years, the Holy Spirit has been drawing me in other ways to know this enfolding love of the mother. First, our human stand-in for the enfolding love of God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The mother teaches, I am trustworthy so you can be at peace. My first physical encounter of this was about 25 years ago. 
I was in a Vineyard Christian Fellowship Wednesday night worship group in the basement of a Catholic church in Rowley. There was a short, full-bodied, bosomy woman about five feet, I don't know, nothing, uh, named Ann Page. With gentle music playing in the background, she came over to me and started praying to me, over me. And before I knew it, she kind of pulled me in to this hug, a big, bosomy hug. And I had to make a decision because my paradigm was edge of the pool. (laughs) I had to decide whether to just release myself into this hug. And I did. And I wanted time to stand still and never end. In my life today, because that was 25 years ago, I'm back to not concrete, but it is porcelain. (laughs) I have a 12-foot china figurine at the top of our stairs. It's one of Mary holding about a two-year-old Jesus who's just nestled in her arms. When I go down the stairs, I'll sort of pause and look at it sometimes and touch the baby Jesus and imagine what it would be like to still be held by Mary or a mother. And then I snap to and back to life. I marvel at and envy at the fact that the maker of the universe was willing to entrust himself to a 14-year-oldish young human woman so completely he could actually sleep in her arms. I want to experience resting in my father's arms. Gazing at that figurine, I allow myself for a moment to imagine that. If Jesus is willing to leave his majesty and entrust himself to the crush and craze of life down here, then so am I, I decide. And then I experience a moment of peace, a peace that renews my strength. And now with the peace comes the assurance that comes from knowing that God is orderly and trustworthy. And so now we can move. We can, having imagined ourselves like a weaned child against its mother's breast, trusting in the supply chain, (laughs) trusting in the orderliness, trusting in the goodness, we can now find strength and move into the last line of the psalm. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth forevermore. O Wendy, hope in the Lord from this time forth forevermore. O Trinity Church, hope in the Lord from this time forth forevermore. This little three-verse psalm informs and guides us today. We are practicing its tenets even here today. Each Sunday, we can marvel that he gives us food from his altar. Later today, we can decide to calm and quiet our souls, entrusting ourselves to Jesus. We can lean against his chest like John, his disciple, leaned against his chest. It's Father's Day. Why are we doing a psalm about leaning against a mother's breast? Because ultimately, it's God the Father 
against whose breast we are to lean. It is our Father in heaven. O Trinity Church, hope in the Lord from this time forth forevermore. When we do that, we can then wriggle off our mom's lap of trusting and quietude and roll up our sleeves and fulfill a line we heard in the gospel this morning. We remember Jesus said he went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel. He had compassion because people were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We can now, remembering our own mothers and how we'd sink into her arms, like a weaned child with its mother, deriving strength, assurance, trust, can wriggle off that lap and pray or do whatever it is that the Lord is calling each of us to do. We end our services with rejoice in the Lord. Go and do the work the Spirit has given us to do. The gospel says pray for more workers. That's a good thing to do. But he also has different things for each of us to do. Let's pray. Oh Lord, help me like David to have no proud looks, to not occupy myself with great matters or with things that are too high for me. Help me to still and quiet my soul like a weaned child upon its mother's breast so that my soul is quieted within me. Oh Lord, help me trust in you from this time forth, forevermore. Amen.